Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Good morning, family. How's everybody doing today? Come on, I see some friends in the house. I'm excited, excited to be here. And uh, good morning to everybody. I'm so glad you're here. If you're watching online today and uh, you're, you're part of our normal family here at OKC, hey, we just want you to know we miss you. We're so glad you're joining us online. Um, but we are counting down the days until you can come back. Because let me just tell you, there's a power in the room, is there not? Come on. I just want to thank our worship team. They just, you know, they so set the tone for the day. And um, just lifting up the name of Jesus this morning, it just touched my heart, and hopefully it touched yours. So over the past few weeks, we have uh, been going through a series called The Way of Life. And Tim has brought us through the Gospels. If you'll remember, a couple weeks ago, he did a message entitled Through the Battle, okay, where we learned to give God back the power in our lives, because the battle is His, right? Amen? And last week, the uh, title of his message was Through the Roof. And I'm going to tell you, my favorite part of Through the Roof is Tim trying to listen for where Jesus was talking on the roof. And if you remember that, it was all about that sometimes we have to push through. Sometimes we have to work a little harder to hear that voice. But when we get to it and when they dug the hole through the roof and laid down their friends, Jesus was faithful. So I've been blessed, and it, it truly has been an amazing series, and honestly, I'm just honored to be up this morning and to share with you guys some of the things maybe that God has been convicting me of, even, and I hope to share that with you today. So this morning, I want to stay in the Gospels, and uh, we're going to look at the words of Jesus, but this morning, I want us to look at a bigger picture first, okay? So many of the teachings of Jesus we see this upside-down way of looking at life. And it's really easy for us to just kind of move along sometimes and not really notice it, but that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to be imitators of that upside-down way of life. And so we're going to get into that in just a second. But before we get going, okay, I was trying to think this week, what, what are some other upside-down, maybe strange ways of life? And of course, I always think about food. So uh, let, me, let me just ask if any of these, you know, what first seemed crazy, but then all of a sudden you loved them kind of things. You know what I'm talking about? Like potato chips on your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No? Yes? No? Okay. That, that, didn't, that didn't hit for everybody. What about, come on, pickles and peanut butter? Anybody? No. No. None of that. Okay. Okay. Well, okay, here's one for you. This one's a stretch, okay? Stephen's dad, Stephen's dad likes to have a bean burrito with cheese, put it in the skillet, you know, get it nice and quesadilla'd, and then dips it in barbecue. Come on. Come, come on. Woo! Mm. Yeah, that one was bad. So I looked this up, actually. Okay, in the Huffing, Huffington Post, they had an article about food upside-down ways of food that will make believers of you. And here are a couple of their options that they had. Buttered popcorn with soy sauce. Okay, huh? uh, okay, okay, maybe. Now here, here's one for you, Cheetos in milk. 
that's a tough one. And, and this last one, and, and I struggle with this one. This, I don't want, I don't, I'm not sure I could do it. Spaghetti and marinara sauce with tuna. Okay. Okay. Sometimes upside down doesn't work. But listen, God said this in Isaiah 55, 8. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high are the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And you know, Jesus proclaimed everywhere he went that the things that he said did not come from himself, but they came from the Father. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of those upside down ways of Jesus. And we're going to get in the word to do that. Two passages of scripture today. I'm going to use some other ones, but these two main ones we're going to focus in on. So if you've got your Bible with you today, you can open up to this. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10, okay? And then we're also going to go to Matthew 23. So if you want to mark that afterwards, you can do that as well. So in Mark, actually before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, open up our eyes, open up our hearts, move within us. Father, your word is powerful. And this morning, we want to feel it. We want it to change us. And we will give you all the glory for it. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, we're going to start. And I'm going to jump around a little bit within Mark, but uh, just to save some time. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, teacher, he declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It says the disciples were amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And just a little farther down in this passage comes the second upside-down proclamation. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So the rich young ruler, he comes with passion and confidence. As he mentions, he has done it all right since he was a boy, followed all the rules, made a fortune along the way, And Jesus gives him props for following the rules. Mark even mentions Jesus loved him, which I think is an important key. That even in the midst of all that, it says Jesus loved him. 
But Jesus also knows there's something behind the scenes that drives this young man, and it's not his trust or his love for the Father or the Son, nor is it for their glory. So when Jesus takes a road that most likely nobody has ever taken before with this rich young man, a thought that seems so far beyond the scope of just following the rules, a thought that moves away from just doing right and shoots straight for his heart. Go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Can you imagine just what he was thinking at the time? You know, what about my employees, all those families that I support? What about maybe my young wife? They said he was young, so maybe he probably didn't have a big family at this point, but maybe he had a young wife. He's worked so hard to amass these riches. Shouldn't salvation be the same way? I just have to do what I can do. So many questions the young ruler has. I want you to take a second this morning and and I want you to put yourself in the place of the rich young ruler. Sometimes it's easy to read the story, but if we put ourselves in that place, and why? Because we're very similar to this guy. We like to go about living a life worthy of being called a Christian. And the last time I checked, we live in America, which is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I read this this week. It said, if you make $50,000 a year, then you are in the 92nd percentile of the wealth of the world. 92nd if you make 50000 So you say, Scott, I don't make $50,000 a year. <laughs> okay. Well, listen to this. If you make $4,700 a year, then you are still in the 50th percentile of wealth in the world. So all of us can put ourselves into this story in a sense. Can you imagine going to bed, and maybe it's in your dream, maybe it's in a vision, maybe it's in a prayer time you have, and you hear Jesus say to you, sell it all. Get rid of everything. Can you imagine what it would do to you, what you would feel like, the pressures that you might feel? I know I would be shell-shocked. Maybe you would be shell-shocked. I think the disciples we're shocked. Here comes a stand-up guy. He's done really well for himself. And one version says he comes up and kneels before Jesus. So he, he is even coming humbly. They're thinking, gosh, this guy might be at the top of the disciple list by the time they get done. And in a matter of about 30 seconds, he erodes the guy's confidence, his pride, And this man who maybe came thinking he had all the answers is leaving bewildered and sad. I imagine for the disciples this great pause, this great consternation. Jesus said, what? Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did. 
Jesus goes on to share how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. For the rich person, harder than trying to put a rope through the eye of a needle. Here's the greatest indicator to the upside-down words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. It's when the disciples said, who then can be saved? This is a guy who's just wanting to know the path, and he is left wanting. And then Jesus follows up those words with, many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. You see, to the disciples, this conversation with the rich young ruler was disturbing. They put their lives on the line and are now questioning who can live up to this mandate. Who can be saved? The portion of scripture that I didn't read is Peter said, we have left everything for you. So they're questioning even themselves if they can make it. But this isn't the first and it's definitely not the last time that Jesus takes our seemingly innocent yet self-centered lives and turns them upside down with his teaching. As you read through the Gospels, it is one upside-down way after another. And it starts at the very beginning of Jesus' story. You remember he's coming into the world. In Jewish culture, the idea of the Messiah who was to come was so different from the Messiah that came. He was to be a king of kingly lineage who was to rule not only Israel, but whose power would be felt as far as the lands could reach. The Israelites would be lifted up above all when all is said and done. But instead, this king, he's born in a cave, in a manger, with nobody serving him but his parents and some animals that are hanging around. He was born unto a carpenter and a virgin. Even for the National Enquirer, that would have been great news. <laughs> Come on. You know, Jesus' parents, they had to deal with that upside-down way of life as well. Do you remember the story in, in Luke chapter 2 where they're going to the festival of the Passover? And they're headed home. There's this caravan of people from their town. They're all headed back. And his parents, they don't see Jesus, but, you know, it's a big caravan of people. So they figure he's got to be around and around here somewhere. After a day, they start searching and they find Jesus is nowhere to be found. So his parents head back to Jerusalem. And it says three days later, they find Jesus at the temple. They run up to him and they say, how could you do this to us? And Jesus' first words are, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Guys, I have a 12-year-old son. And if my 12-year-old son were to disappear and I didn't find him for four days, and then I went up to him and I said, why would you do this to me? If my son said, why are you looking for me? Don't you know? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, 
that would have taken too long. It would have just been, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Angie would have whooped him already, so, yeah. This is the upside down way of Jesus. It's not a normal life. It's not our own thoughts and our own ways. So many things that Jesus did and lessons he taught throughout the Gospels were contrary, not only in our times, but even in biblical times. Let me give you some examples. Our world says consume, right? Come on, we got to keep up with the Joneses. There's, there's almost a pride we have in our homes and our cars and our vacations and in life in general. But Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. Men, there's no harm in checking out a girl, appreciating. Jesus says, no, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. Whew. Our world says, get your place, get a seat at the table. Come on, elevate yourself. Jesus says, take the worst seat at the table. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those that humble themselves will be exalted. Our world still says an eye for an eye. Man, if you wrong me, you are going to pay the price. Jesus says, forgive 70 times seven times. The number for an infinite number of times. But they have hurt me so deeply and they keep doing it over and over. Jesus says, how many times have I forgiven you? Woo! He says to pray for your enemies. American culture, as well as Jewish culture in biblical times, says those with the most money, position, influence, power, that they're winning. But once again, Jesus said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The disciples over the co course of those three years with Jesus were learning that every thought, every motive, every righteous idea that they had about being godly or a follower of Jesus was naturally wrong. That there was this upside-down kingdom where love and motives of the heart were more important than doing what they thought were the right things. So I want to make a shift, okay? We've kind of been looking at the bigger picture of all of these upside-down thoughts of Jesus. And now I want to show you one aspect of life maybe that we as humans, I know myself in particularly, struggle with. And how Jesus' upside down and opposite call can be challenging but life-changing if you'll give in to it. It was Thanksgiving about 10 years ago. I'm in Colorado Springs at my mom's house, one of my favorite places to have Thanksgiving. But I love Thanksgiving as a whole, which I'm sure like a lot of you guys do. You know, it is waking up in the morning and the very first thing you smell is the turkey and the stuffing already in the oven that mom has put in. It is, you know, playing Xbox with Noah, playing games with my siblings. It's watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. 
At 11 a.m. every year, uh, we, we've started a, a new thing where we have butternut squash soup with cinnamon and sugar creme on top with pumpkin seeds. And come on, you know, you feel it? It's kind of happening right here in your jowls. Yeah, it's starting to water a little bit. And then comes the crescendo, the table with all the foods that you dream about all year long. Why do we only do it what time of year is my question. But anyway, it's an incredible day with family. And this year was no different. All my family's there, except for my mom decided to invite some friends this year. And these friends she had just met, she worked at this place called Mercy's Gate, and it's families who had lost their homes or, you know, lost their jobs, so they lost their homes. And these families stay at churches for about a week at a time at night, and then that allows them to go out and work during the day. It's an incredible ministry. They kind of switch churches every week. But my mom meets this family because they were at their church this week, and they, she invites this couple to come over for Thanksgiving dinner. And I'll be honest, she told us the day before, me and my sister, and we're both like, oh, mom, seriously, on Thanksgiving? See, my mom's done this all her life. We, we'll show up for dinner and there'll be, there'll be people there. But on Thanksgiving, so it's Thanksgiving day. They show up about 10, 30, 11. We're all cordial. We, we greet them and we're having a good time. And then we kind of just start going on with day, with the day. And my wife comes downstairs about 12, 30, 1 o'clock. And she's like, hey, do you know what happened to the wine? And my sister's sitting there and I'm like, Shelly, and she's like, oh, I, <laughs> if you're watching, Shelly, forgive me. <laughs> and she's like, no, I, I literally just have this glass. Well, it turns out our friends had a really great Thanksgiving. <laughs> literally two hours before Thanksgiving, they had drank all the wine, and they were overflowing with thankfulness. We gave my mom a hard time sarcastically that day, and we've laughed a lot about it over the years. But I realized something in the midst of that, even for years after, is that my mom has figured something out that even today as a 50-year-old that I struggle with, loving your neighbor as yourself every day. You see, Jesus didn't say love your neighbor as yourself, but not if it's Thanksgiving. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because we are not the most important thing. And I think for my siblings to my mom, that's what we thought. We're the most important. But no, Jesus is the most important to my mom. This is an underlining of an increasing problem in the United States. The culture we live in is becoming increasingly selfish, increasingly self-focused, and self-centered. A recent study published in Psychological Science suggests that people across the globe are becoming more individualistic over time, particularly those nations that lead the word in socioeconomic development, because more affluence leads to a greater sense of self-reliance and detachment from others. Individualism, as opposed to collectivism, relates to how independent and self-reliant and self-centered people are. Collectivistic people and societies tend to be more communal and family-oriented 
and to work together instead of independently. But the statistics show that we're moving away from collectivism and increasingly in the United States towards individualism. We're moving away from caring about others. Individualism. I'll be honest, I, I think I've seen that word, but I don't necessarily know that I really had an idea of what it was. So I looked it up. Go back. There we go. Individualism. There's a couple lines that I wanted to point out. The pursuit of individual rather than common or collective interests. Egoism. And the philosophy at the bottom says the doctrine or belief that all actions are determined by or at least take place for the benefit of the individual, not of society as a whole. Let me say that last part one more time. The doctrine of belief that all actions are determined by or at least take place for the benefit of the individual, not of society as a whole. So what I'm hearing is, before I take any action, before whatever I do, I should ask, does this benefit me? Does this serve my interest or my family's best interest? These are the words of Jesus. He said, the greatest among you shall be servant of all. The greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for a friend. Paul, one of the greatest writers in the New Testament, he said this in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Here is our reality, family. That as long as we are here, there's always going to be a battle that we will be fighting. The battle of the self. And it's a really powerful thing. Whether the rich young ruler or me and my siblings, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, why did they go after the apple? For more power. Because it fed the self. It's not a new struggle. And maybe you've struggled with it. I know I have. So let's go to that second passage. Matthew 23, 1 through 12. If you've got that on your phone or if you've got your Bible with you. Jesus is speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. And he says this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. One translation actually says they put themselves in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Have you ever heard the word phylactery? Phylactery. Phylactery is a little box that they wear on their head that has the commandments in them. So it's close to them. So 
They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. A little bit lower in that, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Another translation says, let the greatest among you be the servant of all. Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. I'll be honest with you guys. I've been blown away at our church by the servanthood that I see. We've got about 125, 150 people that serve on our serve team. They don't get recognized. They don't get the hand every Sunday. But they come and they serve, and it's what makes this church run. Today we're having a lunch for about 8 to 10 families in our church that are foster parents. They're opening their home to a child to come live with them to support not only the child, but also to the family of the child. I see servanthood all around us. I see it in our body, but I'll be honest. Do you realize that of your week here at church, you're only here about 2% of the time? Which means the impact that you have as a servant actually would impact the world more if you were a servant outside of here as well. Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. What opportunities do you have to serve in your life? Is it at home? Men, are you a servant to your wife, to your kids? Women, if you're married, are you serving your husband out of love and your children? Students, youth, do you serve your parents? I know they would be shocked if you did, but serve them anyway. Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. Maybe it's at work. No matter what your position is, we all have an opportunity to serve. Maybe it's making coffee. Maybe it's, it, it's keeping the, the paper in the printer. Maybe it's going by that new person's desk and saying, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Can I take you out to lunch today? How can you be a servant at your work? Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. Students, maybe it's at school. Some of you have gone back to school. Some of you are getting ready to go back soon. What would that look like if you were to serve the students around you. Maybe it's, it's carrying some extra pencils and pens so when for sure every single class period there's that one student's like, I don't have anything to write with. You've always got something for it. Maybe it's the child who's sitting at the table by themselves every single day. Going to have lunch with them. Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. Let me tell you guys what I'm not doing, okay?
okay? What I'm not doing is asking you to go do a random act of kindness. Why? Because it's random. It's something you check off your list. What I'm proposing is that we as followers of Jesus who proclaim him King and Lord and Savior of all, that we take him for his word, listen to that voice and begin to institute a lifestyle of serving. To this world, this might be a little excessive, but to a follower of Jesus, this is simply an upside down way of life that we are called to. Instead of doing what's best for ourselves, that we would put the good of others before us. Because the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Will you guys stand with me for a moment? The message that you receive as soon as you step out of here is going to be different. You're going to turn on the TV this afternoon and there's going to be a touchdown dance. And it's going to be, ah! You know what I'm saying? Me, look at me. That is what the world is saying. Somehow, some way, we need to take this upside down and different way of life and implant it in our heart. When you have your alone time with God throughout the week, start asking, Lord, open up my eyes. Let me see opportunities and ways that I can be a servant to all. You know, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And yes, that's to salvation. But I guarantee you, if you will ask the Lord to give you opportunities to serve others, He's going to open that door. And why is he going to open that door? Because it's at the heart of the Father who sent his one and only Son to die on a cross for our sins, the ultimate sacrifice. Let us follow in his path and live an upside-down life, a life of servanthood. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the love that you have shown us by sending your son. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you. You gave us the perfect example of what it means to live a life of servanthood. Go with us, Lord, and move in our hearts. In your name I pray. you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.